You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Many years ago, C.S. Lewis observed something that I reckon a whole lot of people would agree with today. He said that pretty much all religion is the same when it comes to behavior. For the most part, every religion on the face of the planet, including the religion of, of uh, atheism, pretty much puts out there that we should try to live with justice and equity. We should look after one another, you know, keep the universal golden rule. There is pretty much unity and agreement around these large ideas. Yet it doesn't seem to matter where you live on the, on the globe, no matter what religion dominates, even if it's the religion of secularism or atheism. It doesn't seem to matter what political party dominates or is in power. But mankind seems pretty much powerless to live up to the rules and the lifestyle that they themselves think should indeed be exemplified, should the way that we should um, behave. Now, Christianity has an explanation for this that is different from every other religion. Um, Christianity explains that we have a predisposition towards sin now we're going to talk about this a little bit this morning because this is very important it says not only do we have a predisposition towards sin in fact we are enslaved to it and if we are enslaved to it then it stands to reason that sin is not just a behavior right in other words being naughty doing the wrong thing but sin is a power over us therefore we have the capacity and in fact the bible says that we are enslaved to it. We're going to see in a moment, we're going to take a reading that's going to teach us an awful lot about ourselves. In fact, this is so important. I actually think that what we're going to do this morning will answer the number one search question on Google in Australia. Read in the paper this week. Do you know what the number one search question on Google is? The number one thing that people put into Google search engine in Australia over the last five years is how do I deal with with my anxiety how do I deal with my worry Uh, I think if we could answer uh, this question we actually dig into the reason for misery and ill uh, discontent in the world today that's how big an issue this concept of sin as a power right not as a behavior not as something I do, but as something that rules over me actually is. We're going to see how it shrivels our capacity to feel, which in turn destroys our capacity to think. And I don't know how many of you have observed this, which in, that, which in turn destroys or, or shrivels our ability to choose. Even a fellow by the name of Paul, he was an apostle, he was a giant of antiquity, he's an incredibly intelligent and a man of great capacity, yet he said this in Romans chapter 7 and verse 19. He says, For I know, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So Paul articulates this human struggle. The the, the good I want to do, I don't do, and the the stuff I don't want to do, that seems to be the stuff I inevitably end up doing. So we're going to dig into a story, a series of interactions between the children of Israel, their leader Moses and God. 
And, and I think we're going to find a way out. I think we're going to find the answer to the human dilemma. I know it's a big statement, but hang with me. And we're going to go on a, a journey together from uh, Numbers chapter 11, verse 4 through to verse 6. This is incredible. It says this. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, it's funny, isn't it? He didn't say the Israelites, he says the rabble. So it was a small group started to crave something that they didn't have, other food. And then all of the Israelites, so then they all wailed and said, if only we had meat to eat. And all the carnivores said, amen. We remember the fish. This is, this is madness, folks. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. It was free. We got free fish. Oh, those were the days. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlics. But now we've lost our appetite. We'll never see anything but this manna river again. <laughs> Now, I, I won't, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to take a few more readings from it. But just to sort of fill you in how this ends, God kind of says, okay, enough's enough, all right? You want meat? I'll give you meat. And he brought about an, a huge migration of quails that was so prolific and they had so much quail to eat that inevitably they gorged on it until it was coming out of their orifices and, uh, and they got sick. And in fact, some of them died. And were buried, and the place they were buried was called the graves of those who craved. This intractable problem, this nature of man that wants something but just can't get there, and that which it doesn't want seems to inevitably fall into. Did you see how mad the Israelites' complaining was? I mean, let's think about Egypt for a minute. In Egypt, they were slaves. They were political slaves. What does it mean to be a political slave? It means you can't do what you want to do. When you're politically enslaved, you can't map a way forward that you think is best for you. They were economic slaves. <laughs> it said we had food without cost, but they were slaves. They didn't have any money. Why did their masters feed them? They fed them to keep them alive so they could continue to abuse them. <laughs> right? And yet, how did they remember it? This is stupid. They remembered it as food without cost. When in reality, it was substance to keep them alive so they could be abused. But they've clearly lost their minds anybody reading this would say you're mad you're stupid you're a bunch of idiots <laughs> i mean the egyptians killed your children whipped your backs forced you to make bricks without straw and then gave you some morsels of food to sustain you to keep you alive and yet you're now saying oh remember the good old days but there's something incredibly powerful here for you and I in personal application. I mean, the truth is, folks, that if they went back to Egypt, they, uh, the Egyptians would have annihilated the majority of them to teach them a lesson. <laughs> uh, it was not a 
soft, kind place. They'd been set free physically, but they were still spiritual slaves. And this is what I need you to see. That um, they were powerless to do the right thing. When they were back in um, Egypt, they couldn't do the right thing because their masters wouldn't let them. For example, if you thought, well, the right thing for me to do, let's just, you know, take anything here, but um, but the right thing for me to do is to look after children. Let's just say I have a passion for kids. Let's say God's gifted me to teach children, and that's what I should be doing. But I can't teach children. I've got to make bricks because I'm a slave. I can't do what is the right thing for me to do, right? The right thing for me to do is to, you know, you could choose anything, but let's just say help kids, teach children, because that's my gift, that's my passion. I have ability in that area, but I can't do the right thing because I'm a slave. I'm a slave to the Egyptians, and so I've got to make bricks. This is what Paul is saying. I can't do the right thing. Why can't I do the right thing? Because... I'm a slave. What this verse that we've just read shows us is that you do not have to be a physical slave to be a spiritual slave. That Egypt had been, uh, they'd been released from, but Egypt, they'd not been personally delivered from. They were out of Egypt, but Egypt was not out of them. This is an issue every human being I don't care how educated you are I don't care how rich you are how powerful you are we are still a slave to this force that does not let us do what we think we ought to do now you might be sitting here this morning and I can hear some of you thinking right now and you're saying well that's never happened to me <laughs> you know every time I think to do good I just go ahead and do it and there's a reason for that let me explain the reason for that is and I don't want you to take offense to this, but the reason for that is you don't try hard enough. <laughs> um, if you take the golden rule, if you take what, you know, the whole idea of do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, just try that for two days. <laughs> j- j- just try. Meeting the needs of others with all the strength, all the joy, all the creativity, and all the speed that you meet your own needs. Just try that for two days and see how you go. Just, just, just see if you can rejoice with others' success as much as you rejoice with your own success. And pretty soon, see what Paul says, he says this, and you can have a look at it in, in chapter 7 of Romans at your own um, convenience, but Paul says, the more I try. See, there's the key. Because there's a lot of people. And they think, well, I can, you know, I can do it. But the problem is, you're not trying. See, Paul was pushing himself morally. That's why he could say, oh, there's stuff I want, I want to do and I don't do and the stuff I don't want to do, that I do. Because he was on the front foot, the more I try. A little bit like this, and let me just explain it to you in, in maybe in these terms. I, I'm 56 years of age, right? I can watch a game of football and I know what they should do. <laughs> uh, you put me onto a paddock with a bunch of 26-year-olds, right? And I'll know what should happen. <laughs> but I'm unable to do it. <laughs> See, if you, if you think to yourself, well, I, you know, physically, I can do whatever I want to do. You know, I, I want to walk over there, I can walk over there. I want to go over there, I can go over there. And that's very well and good, and you probably can. But you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> Put yourself onto a competitive football field with a bunch of fit 25-year-olds and just see how well you go. 
The truth is, your mind will know what to do, but your body will be unable to do it, right? Because you don't have what you once had, physically speaking, at the age of 56. That's a fact. And that's what Paul's talking about. Paul's not saying you can't, you know, it's not like you can't do good at all. And he's not saying every bad thing you go out and do. It's like at 56, I can still move around. I can still get where I want to get or or do what I want to do. But you put me into a competitive situation with a bunch of 25-year-olds and I'll see what I should be able to do and I'll see what I think should happen, but I won't be able to keep up because I just don't have the power to do it. Sin is not an action it's a power. Let me go through those three verses just quickly. Um, put them on the, uh, on the screen behind me again. Uh, it, it, it said that they began to crave, right? So what's happening here, and this is what happens, is our emotions start to shrivel. It's important you follow me here because this is going to give you some insight into the way that we behave. Your emotions start to shrivel. Then they carry on about food for no cost. What's this? They're living in denial, folks. They have a subjective memory. They're not thinking. They can't think straight. And then they says we have no appetite or we can't go on. The, the, the original, it basically says our strength is dried up. Basically, they have no will. So that, that, there, there you have a pattern, right? Your emotions start to shrivel, which leads to your inability to think, which ends in your incapacity to choose and God basically says to them in the end I'm going to give you what you want to the point where you're going to loathe it certainly not every addiction is sin but every sin facilitates an addiction and and I'll explain to you how this works for you uh, and for me in in every way and everything from from uh, laziness to materialism to lust to bitterness uh, to envy Uh, no matter what kind of pathway you might want to take let's think about how this works so you can pretty much behave however you want to behave until the distress comes until stuff goes wrong or other people aren't doing stuff that's right now what do you do where do you choose to find your solace what is the agent of choice for you that causes you to rise above this pain that gives you a way of escape we all have an agent folks we all have something that we choose and whatever you're choosing now I wonder if you can identify it because that's the agent and, and for some and I don't know if anyone in this room but for some it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a substance alcohol right that's a pretty obvious one you know I need a few drinks I've had a bad day give me a few drinks that's my agent. Uh, for some, it, it might be some other substance, and you can, you know, you can put in there whatever you like, really. Um, for some, it, it might be an action. It might be some kind of sexual kind of uh, deal. And so when I get, you know, frustrated and I find my release in some kind of sexual behavior, uh, it might be for some an anger thing. You explode. How do I get control back? I know how I get control back. I explode. Uh, I try to take control of the world and bring it back. It's the, it's the way I deal with it. It's, it's my agent. 
It might be bitterness. It, it might be, that's it. You've done this one more too, you know, one time too many. There's a wall up. I'm separating. I am going to be bitter towards you. That's your agent. Many of us have more than one agent. But what I'm saying to you is that ultimately that agent leads you to what we're going to define as the tolerance trap. It starts with the tolerance trap. And let me explain this to you. Um, Whenever you get to have a few beers to get over a hard day, that's okay, maybe for a few weeks. And then what are you going to do? You've got to have a few more beers, right? Because this tolerance trap, the law of diminished return. You know, if I find my solace in some kind of sexual exploit, that might be okay. But then, after a while, that, that level doesn't do it for me anymore. I, I've got to get, you know, some harder porn, or I've, I've got to get some, you know, some different kind of... Uh, uh, experience in that area because that doesn't do it for me anymore that gave me that sense of relief that that sense of escape that sense of dealing with it but not anymore the, the, the nips are getting bigger as they say I, I've got to I've got to get more of that same agent I, I've, I've got to take more control I, I've got to take I've got to go to to tell larger lies or whatever it is it might happen to be but what's happening right now is that your emotions are numbing you're becoming an emotionally uh, very uh, hard person and and pretty soon you'll be able to do things that once upon a time your emotions you would never been able to have done you'd never been able to stomach that but you can stomach it now because your emotions are numbing you're in this this tolerance zone and ultimately it leads to your denial you become selective about your memory you deny things that are true in your own world and that leads to no willpower you can't deal with this anymore this thing's now got you and you're on this downward downward spiral sin operates like this um whenever you try to rely on anything other than god for your escape you come to a tolerance which then leads you down the downward spiral for example if you think if i tell a lie that'll get me out of this problem i know i'll lie that that will help me and what does one lie lead to (laughs) one lie leads to another lie and once upon a time you had a a real desire for truth but after a while you go well everybody lies i just and you can lie at the drop of a hat think man how did that happen didn't used to be able to live like that but i can now because your emotions have become dull and and your mind your is anybody in this room other than me observed particular parliaments pass laws that don't make any sense and you think to yourself what have we all gone mad i mean the evidence is so overwhelmingly obvious what is wrong with you lot but you got you got to understand that people don't see things like you see them their emotions have been uh, over time uh burned up denied and now their inability to think just like these people here that we've just read we got free fish in egypt you didn't get free fish in egypt you morons you you got treated with absolute disdain you got treated as a slave and they gave you food to keep you alive but they don't think like normal people anymore 
That's what you have to realize. That's the power of sin. This is how sin operates. Um, let me give you some more illustrations of this. And maybe, you, maybe you've thought to yourself, because th- there is a key phrase here. Um, the key phrase, and, and this, is, this is the suction. This is, this is the thing that kills you. Have you ever said this? If only. Did you see that? Remember that I read that word a moment? If only we had fish. If only. That's the suction cup. If only. If you ever say that, if your if only is ever anything but God, look out. That's, that's a warning sign. If only we had fish, right? Have you ever thought this? Or, if only I had a better job. If only I had a better house. Or if only my spouse could behave in a better way. <laughs> then that would be for me my way of escape. That would be for me. If I could get that job or if I could live in that house or get a better postcode or, or, or whatever, you know, have a nicer car. If only my, my partner would be nicer to me. If only that would happen, then I could live a better life. That is my way of escape. Uh, one of the great philosophers of our day, a fellow by the name of Adolf Huxley, you may have heard of him, you may not, it doesn't really matter, but he made this incredible admission. Uh, he, this guy's widely read in, in secular um, universities. Yet he says of himself, he said, when he went to uni, he came from an Anglican home, he came from a Christian background, and he said he got entangled in atheism, agnosticism, and all these creeds and schools of thought and he said I, I started becoming a uh, an atheist pretty much because I started in a moral lifestyle and I didn't want there to be a God <laughs> so I came up with all of this stuff to rationalize what I wanted to do see don't think that no matter how smart a person might happen to be that they are immune from this to rationalize their behavior by selective thinking because they've lost their brains because that's what sin does sin is a power that ceases your ability to think so clearly shown to us by this you know we got free fish i mean (laughs) um if you want to hold a grudge all right don't put your hands up but (laughs) let's just say you want to hold a grudge you have to do this you have to abide this process to begin with, if you're going to hold a grudge with someone, you must feel morally superior to them. I can't have a grudge against you if I don't feel morally superior. And then from my moral superiority, what I have to do to maintain my moral superiority is I have to think selectively about my own behavior. Because I can't think for a moment that I might have actually done some of the things I'm holding against you. I might actually be just as guilty as you. As Jesus once said about those without sin casting the first rocks. You know what I'm saying. But I can't think that because I am morally superior to you. Otherwise, I can't be bitter towards you. And, and, and where does this in the end lead? I mean, it leads me, you know, you do something good and I, I explain it away. Oh, self-centered motives. We all do good things on the basis of self-centered reasons sin will not only destroy your emotions emotions it will end up causing you to think selectively about your past 
And at the very heart of it, it was this if only thing. If only. If only he was nicer to me. If only she was better to me. If only I had a, more of this. If only there was that. One of the great preachers uh, of a couple of hundred years ago, a fellow by the name of Jonathan Edwards, says this. He says, sin is to the heart like a log is to the fire. There's never been a fire that says, enough fuel. Uh, there's never been a heart that says, enough success, enough approval. I've had enough comfort. Oh, enough love already. The more fuel you put in, the more wood the fire requires, the higher it goes, the more oxygen it needs. And what does the fire do to the wood? Exactly what sin does to the emotions. It shrivels them. It shrivels them. It shrivels them. So here's, here's the takeaway, okay? Here, I need you to listen. And if you're on Facebook or something, just put that away for a minute. <laughs> so I'm thinking about what you're going to do this afternoon and give me your attention for the next few minutes because here's the thing. Next time you find yourself grabbing for that agent, which is your way of escape, what you need to do is this. You need to ask yourself, what is it that I'm telling myself if only I had? The next time you're grumpy, irritable, the next time you are so full of fear that you, you, know, you can't think straight, the next time you are, whatever that agent for you is, you need to ask yourself, what am I saying to myself right now? What these Egyptians were saying, I should say, these Israelites were saying all those thousands of years ago. What am I saying if only I had? If only I had blank now. Because that if only is the suction cup of your soul. And somebody has to wake us up. Somebody has to give us an insight into what the real problem is. Because how many of you know there is no bigger slave than the man or the woman who doesn't know they're a slave? You see, the first, the first step of deliverance here is the acknowledgement that there's a problem. Their acknowledgement that there is an agent in my life that I'm using instead of God. Because you might say, well, is there anything wrong with having, you know, wanting to have an aspirational life, wanting a bigger house, a, a better whatever, you know, living a, a grander life? And the answer is no, of course there's not. But that's, that's not, that's not, the, that's not the, uh, the point. Uh, you know, get as much as you want and go for whatever you can. The point is when those things replace God, ultimately... They start to shrivel you. That's the point. The point is when something replaces God in your life, you become something less than what you can be. And, and that's the problem. This is not about some kind of you about stop it and be a good boy and be a good girl. No, this is about you being fully human, recognizing that that, that ache, that if only in your life, you were created for God to be that if only. Anybody who's done a 12-step program knows that, you know, you start off in the room saying, oh, I'm an alcoholic. You may not have had a drink for, for months, but you still say, oh, I'm an alcoholic. What are you doing? You're acknowledging that there is a problem. There is nobody with less power than the person who doesn't realize they are powerless. They have, I'm a slave to this. I'm a slave in this situation. 
if you can acknowledge that, that is the first step towards your deliverance, is to just recognize this is the issue, folks. This is the problem. I'm relying on an agent that is destroying me, shriveling me up when I should be and could be relying on God. It's not enough to beat yourself up. It's not enough to turn over a new leaf. It's not enough to somehow charge yourself and go, oh, I'm just a naughty person. You know, I I need to try better. It's not enough. That stuff doesn't work. What you have to do is this. What was this story all about? It was all about their appetites, wasn't it? It was all about where's the meat? It was all about appetite. And and, and here's the key. The psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, the question is not, do you believe in God? You may well believe in God, but that doesn't solve your problem. I may even go out on a limb and say, it's not even about behaving and obeying God. You might be obeying God, but it's killing you. (laughs) You know, I've been uh, six months without a drink, or, you know, I've been without a woman for six months, whatever it is, you know. It's killing me. I haven't got onto that website now for a couple of weeks. But oh, I just want you to know. And then your world falls apart. You go back there. The issue's not just trying to obey God and pull yourself up by you. I'm going to do it, God. I'm going to do it. No, no. The key is to taste God. Because once you've tasted God, once you have that revelation of God, I've got to tell you, folks, you don't want anything else. See, listen what what God says in um, verse 19 of that chapter. He says, you will not eat it for just one day. He's going to give them meat, right? The quail. Or for two or for five or for 20, but for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it. Why? Why will you finish up in in this despondent, rejected state where you have no power to stop but just grabbing for it and grabbing for it? He says here, because you have rejected the Lord. Well, is there anything wrong with eating quail? Probably not. I don't eat it myself. <laughs> but you could replace it with beef or lamb or anything else, I imagine. The issue is not the consumption of quail. The issue is the rejection of God. Did you see that? It wasn't that you ate the wrong stuff. It was that the if only was the quail. Or the if only was the meat. If you can fill the if only with God, then you can eat all the quail you like. <laughs> because you have rejected, because you rejected the Lord who was among you, and you wailed before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? Because you've lost your minds, <laughs> you rat bags. <laughs> you see, the secret to freedom. The secret to deliverance is worship. It's this abandonment to God. It's this, I give myself completely and wholly to you. It's that inner recognition of the greatness and of the grace and of the power of God to that point where you are emotionally moved by God. You know, have you ever watched a, a movie or, or you've read a book and you've been, you know, tears are forming, you've been emotionally moved or, or someone's got up and given a testimony and, oh, it was so powerful and you're emotionally moved? When was the last time that you were emotionally moved purely by the understanding of who God is? That's the key. 
Then you say, well, you know, I mean, I, you know, I try to do the right thing. I try to be a good Christian, you know, whatever. I try to keep the golden rule like every other religion. <laughs> I fail sometimes. Am I a bad person? No, you're not a bad person. The question isn't about behavioral points. The question is, have you tasted Jesus? Let me give you this. This is a really interesting verse in 2 Timothy 2.7. I love this. It says this, reflect on what I say, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. I just find that such a powerful verse. Did you see it? See, God says, I'm going to reveal myself to you, right? God said, I will give you the insight. Did you see that? You, you can't orchestrate that. You can't organize that. You can't, you, you're not the agent behind that. That's a God thing. God says, I will reveal myself to you. And when God reveals himself to you, you become emotional. It's like, oh my goodness. Oh wow, I had no idea. I'm worried about this and God is there. But did you see the first half of that verse? This is so important. The first half, look, look at that. Reflect on what I'm saying. What, is that? what does that mean? This is what it means. This is how relationships work. Are they not? You know this to be true. Right? You can't say to your children, oh, I want to be really close to you, so we'll spend, you know, 25 minutes uh, at 6 p.m. on, uh, on uh, you know, November the 12th. I'll see you then. Uh, it doesn't work like that. And so you come in and you say, well, you know, tell me something really deep. Uh, hmm. No, 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 you'll be okay. I'm on your side. See you later. How many know relationships don't work like that? How do relationships work? Relationships work by just hanging out with people. Right? Just spending time, just hanging out. And then what happens? Serendipitously, moments happen that you don't orchestrate, but they happen if you hang there long enough. That's what that verse just said. It said, you must choose. Read your Bible, pray, worship, you know, do the things, but do so with abandonment of the heart. And then that serendipitous moment, God will reveal himself to you. And in that revelation, that's the tasting. That's when you go, oh, wow, God. And that's the key. That's the key. The key's not just, you know, oh, I've got to be a better person. Whatever. No, no, the key's tasting something that is so beautiful and so amazing that his mercies are new every morning. Because how many know? Nothing else. Nothing else. No other agent's mercies are new every morning. I mean, you have three cans of forex tomorrow night you'll need four cans you know in a few months time or whatever you know you log on to that that site on the internet for 10 minutes this month you'll need to be on there for 15 minutes in a few months time that's, that's the way it works folks you get angry and cranky and lose you know try to get control through your temper you know for 15 minutes this month it's going to be it's the way it works it's, it's because your emotions are shriveling you are shriveling so you've got to get more of the agent to achieve the same it's the way life works you know this to be true there's only one thing that's mercies are new every morning and that's God he's the only thing in your life that the law of diminished return does not apply to his revelation the second thing is a role model Listen, listen. I mean, Moses was a good guy, but he wasn't perfect. Listen to this. He says this in verse 14. I can't carry these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. 
if this is how you're going to treat me, speaking to God, please go ahead and kill me. If I found favor in your eyes, do not let my face, uh, if, if I found favor in your eyes, do not let my face, do not let me face my own ruin. Um, basically, I've had enough. What, what he's saying, and this is so sad, and the truth is they say, they tell me, I read it this week, that in Australia today, that a man in Australia today is committing suicide, kill me, every four hours. Tragic, it's just unbelievable isn't it? in this country, richest country in the planet, the lucky country where we have freedom, yet so many people are enslaved. If only they were here this morning <laughs> to understand this. If only they had the advantage of understanding what you now understand. That every agent that they look for to somehow try to get them out has this di diminishing effect on their life. And they get smaller and smaller and smaller until they get to a point where that's it, just kill me. Hebrews 3, we're reading Hebrews at the moment, as we said, and Hebrews 3 talks about we have one better than Moses. Moses says, I can't take this burden anymore, kill me. Jesus says, I will take their burdens and it will kill me. I will take their burdens as I die for them. See, he was nailed to the cross so we can be free. The first action of salvation is always freedom, always freedom. God set his captives free. Every human heart longs for freedom. And yet we're locked into this power that keeps us in bondage. He was chained so that we might be able to run. He gives us perfect freedom. He says, you will know the truth. And this morning, this is the truth. This truth is almost so self-evident. You don't need me to convince you it's true. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 